Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Acts, chapter number 9. Acts, chapter number 9. When I gave the sound room the title of the message and the text, it raised a few eyebrows earlier and in fact, uh, question, did I really, did I really mean that verse? And, uh, we'll get to that in a little bit. You know, we could talk for hours about how believers are blessed. Think about that. How believers are blessed. And the believers' benefits are many and they're marvelous. We could just go on hour after hour talking about all of our benefits, the many benefits, the marvelous benefits that we have. But today, I want to speak to you about believers who bless. Believers who bless. Believers who are a blessing to others. Now, as we all know, that ought to be true of every believer, right? I mean, every Christian ought to be someone that is a blessing to someone else, but as you, as you well know, not every believer is a blessing. Sometimes they can be burdens instead of blessings. Kind of like, you know, the little, little verse that says, to dwell up above with the saints that I love. That will be glory. To live here below with the saints I know. Well, that's another story. And, uh, boy, <laughs> sometimes it is. And, uh, but I mentioned last week in the message that one of the ways in which God puts gladness in our heart is through the ministry of the saints. God uses His people to put gladness in our heart. And we ought to thank God for those who give us a helping hand and a happy heart. And today I want you to see an example of what I'm talking about, an example of a believer who was a blessing. Her story is recorded here in chapter 9, beginning in verse number 36. Now there was at Joppa certain disciples, a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. The woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. And it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died. Of whom when they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber and for as much as Lydda was nigh unto Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent unto him two men, desiring him that he would not delay to come to them. And then Peter arose and went with them. When he, whenever, when he was come, they brought him unto the upper chamber, and all of the widows stood by him, weeping, and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all forth and kneeled down and prayed, and turning him to the body, said to Tabitha, Arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and lifted her up, and when he had called to the saints and widows, presented her alive. And it was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. I don't know how that story impacts you, but to me that is a very heart 
heart-touching picture. This group of widows that are standing there before Peter. And notice it says they're weeping. This is verse 39. They're weeping and showing the coats and the garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. And now she's deceased. You know, it seems strange that many times people have to die before they're truly appreciated. As one writer said many years ago, they go through the world living quietly devoted to the interest of those who are dear to them, seeking no recognition. They are merely commonplace people and so are allowed to love and to serve without appreciation. But one day they are missed from their accustomed place. Their work on earth is done and they are gone And then the empty place reveals the value of the blessing they have been. In their absence, people learn for the first time the value of the services they had been accustomed to receiving from them. I can't read that without without a bunch of names popping into my mind thinking about former members of this church and thinking about others that down through these nearly 50 years of preaching now that have ministered to me and to my family, people that have been a blessing to others and now they're they're dead and gone. And in many instances, those people did not get a lot of praise while they were here. They served faithfully. They were a blessing to the Lord's church. And yet they did all of that seemingly unappreciated. Now I want you to put yourself in the place of these widows as they're standing there before Peter. And keep that in mind because Peter is a an important character as to the history of the early church. He certainly wasn't a pope, by the way. And let me tell you, there's no hope in the pope. Your hope's only in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, not in any man. But I'll tell you, it would be a great honor to be standing in the presence of Peter. So put yourself in their sandals and imagine that you're standing there before Peter. What, what would you want to talk about? Now, there's a lot of different possibilities you know, some of them might have said, "Peter, would you tell would you tell us what what you what you thought when your brother Andrew told you about Jesus? What what was going through your mind? What was that experience like? Could could, could you share that with us? I, you know, that would be a great question. I I'd kind of like to ask that. How'd you feel when you first met Jesus? Or maybe somebody says, would you, would you tell us about all of those miracles the Lord did? I mean, after all, you were with Him day and night, and, and for three and a half years, you know, you were associated with Him. Could you share with us about some of those miracles? We, we heard stories, but we, we'd like to hear it from you, a, a witness to those miracles. Well, that'd be an interesting subject. I, you know, I'd, de- Regardless of what time it was, I'd just tell Peter, go on. We, we, we're not hungry today. We're going to miss lunch. We'll just listen to you all afternoon. I, that's the way I'd feel about it. But they didn't, they didn't refer to that. 
somebody else might have said, Peter, could you tell us what it's like to walk on water? Wouldn't that be an amazing experience? To walk on water, really? I mean, it happened. Uh, would you share with us how, how you felt walking on water? And then, no doubt, you know, there could have been one in the crowd. There's one of these in every crowd that would have maybe said, Peter, I've just wondered, and I can't help but wonder, why in the world did you deny the Lord? You see, there's always somebody around that wants to bring up your past. But it's an interesting question, but they didn't, didn't even mention that. Someone else said, well, Peter, I want to talk about the resurrection. I want you to share with us and tell us all about that experience. Or tell us what it was like to hear Jesus preach. Or somebody else said, Peter, would you tell us again about the day of Pentecost when those 3,000 trusted the Lord as their Savior? Tell us how it was when the, when the Holy Spirit entered into that upper room. Tell us about that experience. We want to know. But you see, those women don't mention any of those things that are possibilities. Rather, notice they want to talk about a woman, a dead woman, by the name of Dorcas. Now, if they were that interested in this woman, we ought to be interested in this woman. But it's even of greater importance is the fact that the Holy Spirit wants us to know about her, and that's why her story is recorded here in the Word of God. There's something important about her story that God wants us to know. So let's think about this woman. She was a believer who was a blessing. Now notice the first thing, verse number 36, we see her character. And it's defined by that one word, notice, disciple. That one word speaks volumes. It tells us a lot about who she was. Of all of the different words used to describe Christians in the Bible, this is one of the most important because it was used by the Lord Himself again and again. To be a disciple means that you are a learner or a follower. You are one that imitates the teacher. You're a learner, a follower, an imitator. Not, and I don't mean a put-on, but I mean someone that imitates the example of somebody else. But even that doesn't cover it all, because when we talk about being a disciple, and the strict definition of that word, it means more than being a learner. It means being an apprentice. An apprentice is someone who learns with the intent of putting into practice what they learn. In other words, they're not just trying to get a degree. They're not trying to just get through college or whatever it is, but they're learning because they plan to put it into practice. And so whenever it says that she was a disciple, that tells us a lot about her, and we can sum it all up in two areas. Number one, to be a disciple means the denial of self. Secondly, it means the devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
The Lord said, unless we forsake all that we have, we cannot be His disciple. Here is a woman that is forsaken all for the sake of following the Lord Jesus Christ, putting into practice what she had learned about Him. And I don't think you could say anything more important about this woman than that. She is a disciple. Given all of the other details, I think this is amazing because it doesn't say anything about her appearance. You know, most women are interested in their appearance. In fact, most men are interested in the appearance of certain women, their wives. <laughs> and that's, that's well and good, but, but you know... Whenever it comes to talking about a woman, that you know, it's very complimentary. And some, some you know, some, some of them could have said, well, "I'll tell you what, she's the most beautiful woman I've ever seen," or something like that. There's not anything said here about her appearance. Not anything said about her abilities. Not anything said about her accomplishments. It just says she was a disciple. That tells us all we need to know about her character because she denied herself and devoted herself to following the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, notice her contribution in verse 36. She is a disciple, and notice it says, full of good works and alms deeds. This is Christ-like. Because if you look over in chapter 10 of this same book in verse 38, it says of Jesus Himself that He went about doing good. Let me tell you, if we aren't doing good, we aren't following Christ. And by the way, this is something that we can all do. We can all do good. And that's what she was doing. I can't sing like my daughter. I can't sing like my wife. I can't sing like my son. I, you know, I, I don't have the ability to go over and sit down and play the piano. Or I, I don't have any of those abilities whatsoever, you see. And so there's a lot of things that, that some of us can't do. But there's something that all of us can do and should do. And so it says she went about doing good just as the Lord Jesus Christ did. She was doing good. It, she was Christ-like. But not only that, she was compassionate. Here's a woman that cared about people. And that ought to describe every single one of us who call ourselves Christians. We ought to have a compassion for, for other people. We ought to care about them. We ought to have empathy for them whenever they're suffering and the difficulties that they're going through. We need to put ourselves in their place and understand what it's like to be there and do what we can. Now, there's a lot of stuff we can't do. It may not be a, a matter of not being able to do it because of, of your ability. It might be a matter of not being able to do it because of your energy level or your health or, or whatever. There might be a lot of things that you'd like to do that you can't do. And that's why I keep trying to challenge those of you that are young and healthy and strong. Do what you can while you can because the day is coming when you won't be able to do it. You better do it now. And here is a woman that was busy ministering to others. But we come to verse 37, and notice here we see her condition. Verse 37, she was sick. 
her piety did not prevent her problems. Here's a woman that's sick. You know, sometimes we get it in our mind, and I think in part, because some folks have listened too much to some of these prosperity preachers that try to convince you that, you know, that if you really have enough faith in God, you'll never get sick. But I noticed a strange thing about those folks. They all eventually do. They said, well, if you just, you know, demonstrate your faith by sending us your retirement check every month, why, <laughs> you know, demonstrate your faith and God will heal you and you'll be driving a new Cadillac like me or, a, you know, whatever, live in a mansion like I do. But eventually they, you know, they're not able to drive and they have to move out of their mansion here on earth and makes me wonder if they've got one anywhere else. It really does. Anybody that would steal from poor widows and what have you and line their coffers with money that they have taken from others by deceiving them. Let me tell you something. Being the most holy person in your neighborhood is not going to keep you from getting sick. Here's a woman that was a disciple, a woman that loved God, a woman that loved others, and it says she was sick. And eventually we all get sick because we still live in a body of flesh and blood until we get our glorified body. We've got to deal with what we've got. But notice, it says then she died. You see, her piety did not prevent her problems and her devotion did not deliver her from death. She died. That serves to remind us that life is short. Our opportunities are going to come to an end. Whatever we're going to do, we need to do it while we can. She got sick and she died. Listen, if the Lord doesn't come, one of these days you and I are going to die. It's appointed a man wants to die. It's going to happen. You have an appointment and right now your heart is beating a death march to the grave. Every beat of your heart gets you closer and closer to the end of life here on this earth. She died. That's the condition this woman is in. Notice verse 39, her companions, it says, all the widows. All the widows. That little word all says a lot because it means exactly what it says. They all came. That's amazing to me. I mean, surely, you know, surely there must have been some of the women that were maybe jealous of her talents or whatever it was. But here is a woman that attracted the attention of all of the other widows, and they are all there, every single one of them. You, you can't hardly get every Baptist together for anything, let alone a funeral. But they're all there, every one of them. And notice two things. We see their tears. It says they're weeping. I love what Robert Murray Machine said many years ago, centuries ago now, I guess, he says, live so as to be missed. 
Isn't that a great motto? Live so as to be missed. Because one of these days we're going to die. One of these days we'll be taken away from our loved ones and we ought to live our life with such integrity that when we're gone that we leave a legacy behind. And they have all gathered together and they're weeping. Not only do we see their tears, we see their tribute. Notice it says, showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. I heard a preacher say many years ago, the value of one's life is not measured in duration, but in donation. And I just get this picture in my mind of all of these widows I have no idea how many, but all of these widows there, and notice they've got all of these garments and coats, they're all laid out there. They, they want other people to see her handiwork. They, they want other people to see what she had done for them. She left something behind that others could see. Mark Twain said, let us endeavor so to live that whenever we die, that even the undertaker will be sorry. We ought to want to make that kind of an impact on other people. If you're one of those that says, well, I don't care what anybody thinks, you need to, you need to have an attitude adjustment. It matters what other people think. Certainly we ought not to cave in and compromise our convictions and, and, and so forth and be politically correct just so we won't offend people. That's not what I'm talking about. But it ought to matter the impression that we live in the lives of others. And here are all of these visible signs left behind of a believer who is now deceased but that had been a great blessing to all of those who knew her. A lot of times we sing that old song, Make Me a Blessing. And, you know, I can't help but wonder whenever we sing that if we really do mean that. To sing, Make Me a Channel of Blessing, O Lord. But do we really have a servant's heart? Is that really the desire of our heart that we can be a blessing to others? A genuine compassion that compels us to do what we can to, to be thinking of others. And remember, whenever the Lord gathered together His disciples in the upper room, John 13, knowing that He was about to be crucified, and in a time in His life when others would be thinking only of themselves, He was thinking only of others and washed their stinking feet. He went about doing good. That was his manner of life. It was a matter of routine, something he did over and over, something that was habitual in his life, not something that was occasional, not something that was exceptional, not something just once in a while and everybody is looking... That was his manner of life, and I can't help but get the impression that's the kind of woman this was. You see, being a blessing can take many different forms. Not everyone can make clothes. I certainly couldn't. I can't hardly sew a button on a shirt, and uh, 
But when I do, that sucker stays there because I use that spider wire fishing line. It'll never come off. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not very pretty. Yeah. That's a lot more difficult than some people think. You know, I, get, I always end up getting it so tight that it, you can't even button it. But the, anyway... This isn't a sewing class, so we'll go on. I'm just telling you, not everybody can be a seamstress. That that's, takes a special talent. Uh, uh, not everybody can do that. But there's something that we can all do. And we're all going to be remembered for something. And so here's the picture. They've got it all laid out there. Here's what she left. This is what she made for me. This is what she gave me. And you can bet that every garment had a story. It might have been at a special time in their life, a a need in their life. And Dorcas saw that need and responded to it and made a garment to, to help them. But now she's dead. And I want you to notice the cure, verse 40 and 41. The only cure for death is what? Resurrection. That, that's, that's the only cure for it. Because whenever you die, look, whenever you're sick, there's something that maybe others can do. But when you die, there's nothing that anybody else can do for you. And so it says that Peter went to the room and he put them all forth and he kneeled down and he prayed. And God worked a miracle. Notice there's no explanation given here as to why. A lot of other good people had died and they were not resurrected. So so I I don't know why. It doesn't tell us that she was better than everybody else or that she had more faith than everybody else. And so whether you look at this, you know, as a reward for her faith or an honor that was bestowed upon her, regardless of how you look at it, it boils down to this, that in the raising of Dorcas, a need was supplied. God is supplying the need. Listen, when you lose a church member like that, it leaves a void that needs to be filled. And somebody else has got to step up and take over and get involved, or the Lord has to add somebody else to the church that's willing to do what they did. But there's going to be a void there. And so whenever the Lord raised her up, He was filling that need in that church. Now let me tell you, I'm not expecting God to to resurrect any bodies until the rapture. Over the years, Tim mentioned this morning, said, you know, it would be a good thing. Maybe next year we don't have time to do it now. But maybe next year to have one of those slideshows out there in, in one of those picture frames of our past members that have gone on and, and help us to think about the contribution that they made while they were here. And I think it's a great idea. Whenever we think of all of those that have stood in the gap and made up the hedge, those that have been there during a time of need, those have, that, that have made an impact upon this church. And let me tell you, when they're gone, there's a void there until somebody steps up 
and steps in and takes over. And I'm so thankful whenever I think back to some of those that have gone on and then I look out here and say to myself, yeah, he's gone, but he's here. Or she's gone, but she's here. That God put someone else in their place. And I think we can live every day with that kind of confidence that God will supply our need when we do what we should. If we'll live like Dorcas, if we'll live for the sake of being a blessing to other people, and God knows that we're honest about that, He's going to supply whatever it is that we need. Now there's one last thing that nearly always gets overlooked in this story. And that's her converts. Notice verse number 42 again. And it was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Now, we usually don't think of these people as being her converts, but there's a sense in which it's really true. And I say that because these people evidently became believers as a result of her story. It wasn't all about what she had done, but it's the fact that that God had honored her life in raising her up. And there had been the testimony of all of those widows. And as a result of her story, these other people out in other areas, they, they hear that story. And as a result of that, they become believers. Let me tell you, we all have a story. We, we used to have, it was common for Baptist churches to have what we call testimony meetings. I don't know why we don't do that anymore, but we, we don't and we should because we all have a story, all have a testimony. And let me tell you, whether you realize it or not, people take notice of what you do for God and what God does for you. When they see that you are both blessed and a blessing, it gets their attention. And getting their attention is crucial to them getting the message of the gospel. When they see the difference that Jesus makes in your life, and they reach that critical point sometime in their life where they realize that I can't even walk without Him holding my hand, that I can't make it unless I get help. And they begin to think about you and your story and how God has blessed you and God has used you to be a blessing. And those same people that have derided you, those same people that have denounced you, the same people that have rejected your offer again and again and again, those same people now become receptive to the gospel. Maybe somebody's here this morning and you feel, you just feel worthless, useless. You just feel like your life isn't any value at all. In the first place, I hope you'll go home and and click on the story I posted this morning about uh, about the dead flyers. And, you know, you might not be as worthless as you think you are. I hope you'll take time to read that story. But if you're here, let me tell you, regardless of how you feel, God has a plan for your life. And if you are be, if you are breathing then you're here for a purpose. 
God wants to use you for a reason. And you're never more important than you are whenever you're serving God by being a blessing to others. Believers that bless. I hope every Christian this morning leaves here saying, that's what I want to be. I want to be a believer that blesses others. And if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, let me tell you this morning, God wants to bless you. God wants to do exceeding abundant above anything you could ever ask or even think. And He proved His love by the gift of His Son who died on the cross and shed His blood and rose from the grave that He might save your soul. And there is no greater blessing than that. Trust Him this morning and be saved. Would you do that while we stand together, Father? How we thank You for the story of this wonderful woman, this dedicated disciple who committed herself to serving others, to being a blessing to those around her. And how I thank You, Lord, for these men and women here today that that have taken that same course of action, those that have committed themselves to being a blessing to others. And I just pray this morning that You'll bless each and every one of them. And Lord, may each one of us today accept the challenge and follow the example of this woman that we might be a believer that blesses. And Lord, for that man or woman or maybe a boy or girl that's here today that's not a believer, they've never received Christ, I pray You'll speak to their heart. May the Holy Spirit draw them to the cross of Calvary that they might be saved. For we beg it in Jesus' precious name.